RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 363 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, April 24th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, April 27th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And returning in our audio booth is our audio engineer... Winters. Hola, Capitans. Welcome back, Winters. It's good to have you back on the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be back. So, Kenna, what do we have coming up this week? Well, this week, Star Trek Discovery earns a spot on the list of the top shows of 2018 so far. The Space Channel in Canada is in hot water over Disco's profanity. CBS All Access expands north of the border. And Baby Spock is slated to make an appearance in Discovery Season 2. In Star Trek Online news, we've got a preview of this weekend's events in-game, and later we talked to content designer Tiffany Chu about her work on the featured episode, The Renegade's Regret. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, those hailing frequencies are always open, and you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. As always, Captains, we have to take a moment to thank our patrons who continue to support Priority One Podcast on a monthly basis to help keep the lights on and help us improve the show from week to week. This month, a special shout-out to new patrons Nicholas Rall, Doug Robinson, and James Golding. Now, Captains, we understand that a financial contribution may not be in the cards, but there are other ways that you can support Priority One Podcast. One of the biggest ways is by sharing the show with your fellow Trekkies on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, any social media platform that you have access to. Another way, of course, is by leaving us reviews. For instance, at iTunes. Just open up your podcast app on your iPhone or open up the iTunes app on your computer and find us there. Then leave us a review. Rate the show. Let other people know what it is about Priority One you enjoy the most. Reviews certainly go a long way in helping spread the word about this show. But, Captains, if you are considering a financial contribution, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash Priority One, where we offer some pretty interesting rewards for those of you that decide to contribute. And remember, you don't have to contribute $5, $10, $20. It could be simply a dollar a month. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. 
Whether Star Trek Discovery is your cup of Earl Grey or not, there is no denying it has made quite a splash. As a matter of fact, according to Insider and Parrot Analytics, Star Trek Discovery is one of the 20 most popular television shows of 2018. From the MSN article, quote, to learn what shows really have people buzzing in 2018 so far, Insider worked with Parrot Analytics, which compiles available global data on social media, blogging, pirating, and other factors to figure out the viewer demand for shows. Parrot assigned each series an expressions total that reflects average daily audience demand for all countries from January 1st to March 31st, 2018 adjusted for each country's population, end quote. Other shows that made the list include Peaky Blinders, Vikings, The Walking Dead, Stranger Things, and Game of Thrones, which is mighty good company. For a full list of the 20 most popular shows, we'll have a link in our show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO363. Speaking of discovery, Star Trek's foray into salty language has been a matter of debate amongst fans since the first F-bomb launched in Discovery's fifth episode, Choose Your Pain. Some have argued the language was immature and unnecessary. Others that it was edgy and humorous. The Canadian Broadcast Standards Council, however, claimed it was a violation of the Canadian Association of Broadcasters, Code of Ethics, and Violence Code. A complaint to the CBSC... See... Filed on October 29th, following the October 28th Space Channel airing of Choose Your Pain, said that the profanity, quote, should not be allowed on Sunday night primetime without some better warning than the normal generic pre-start of each segment after commercial break, end quote. Space, the Bell Canada channel that airs Star Trek Discovery at the Sunday 8 p.m. time slot, gave its reasons for not editing the episode by saying, quote, we took into consideration how the course language was used, and we decided to air the episode uncut and uncensored in order to deliver the content our space viewers expect, end quote. As restitution, space is required to do the most Canadian thing possible and air a short apology during primetime next week. Uh, minor correction, they are actually required to air it twice. Oh my. Two apologies. <laughs> That's twice the Canadian. And are they going to have maple syrup and are they going to interrupt a hockey game to do it? No, it, in, in complete fairness, like I actually kind of agree with this. If, if the societal norm is that there's no swearing at that time of night, then there really shouldn't be. However, I would argue that um, the one use of the F-bomb is probably less traumatic to uh, those sensitive people in the audience than the Klingon boobs. Or the uh, the so, striated bodies think, in the third episode where they find like there, chunks a, of flesh in the hallways yeah. and stuff. Yeah, there is a lot of content there that is probably worse than the f bomb that I would have thought would make a bigger splash than than this. But okay, fine. Maybe there'll be more apologies later. Later. I don't think they handled the f bomb well anyway. I, do, I don't understand no, why bad. the channel has to issue the apology. It's like. <laughs> You want you want the producers to do it? You want a letter from, well, they, from the Star Trek they, people? All right, I, I'm not overly yeah. impressed with Discovery, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. My question is, is that the space is kind of like our AMC, right? Is that what it is? It's just a, it's a standard broadcasting terrestrial channel, correct? No, I think it's it's, it's, it's not a, a cable streaming channel. Service. I think it's a cable channel. So it's a it's cable, a cable channel. channel, right? But so I, I would understand that that dropping the f bomb is like dropping the f bomb during something like The Walking Dead which I I can't I'm pretty sure has happened at least once 
Um, so I can, it, it's understandable that a general audience is going to kind of be confused watching Star Trek and all of a sudden they hear that F-bomb. So uh, perhaps the station, perhaps the carrier, needed to have done a better job at, at warning the audience. Like they do in, with AMC's The Walking Dead or, or Borderlands. What, like, hey guys, warning, warning, gratuitous things are about to happen. Uh, 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 Even though oh, oh, the F-bomb is not necessarily the gratuitous. Word, they didn't need it. It was gratuitous. It was absolutely yes. gratuitous. They didn't need it yes. there. Right, it was right, unnecessary. Right, right. Well, we've had that discussion. Yeah. So I, We've had that discussion, and I don't want to spiral into that. I just think that if they're going to continue doing it, then these these broadcast companies outside of the United States that are airing this over the airwaves and not not via a streaming service need to do a better job of pre-screening the episodes and warning the audience uh, what they should expect. I just hope that the Star Trek writers take a look at this and go, ah, we've done it. Check off the box. Move on. Don't do it. We don't really need to do it anymore. Probably same with the boobs. And while we're talking about Canada, CBS All Access has set a course north of the border. The streaming service will be available for $6 Canadian per month. Mark de Beauvoise, CBS Interactive President, says of the expansion, quote, The launch of CBS All Access in Canada is a significant milestone for the service. We've experienced incredible growth domestically and see a great opportunity to bring the service and CBS's renowned programming directly to international audiences across a range of platforms and devices, end quote. But this expansion will not include Star Trek Discovery. As we've mentioned in our previous story, Bell Canada, who owns Space Channel, has the Canadian rights to the series and will retain those rights until their expiration. Uh, one little detail that we didn't mention was that the $6 Canadian is for the commercial-free version of CBS All Access. If you pay $6 Merkin and Merca, you have to sit through a bunch of commercials. So the $6, which is even, it's even less when you hit the exchange rate... You know, maybe that's the trade-off. You don't get Discovery, but you you know you can watch I Love Lucy commercial free. <laughs> what you're saying is that uh, Discovery is worth uh, three ninety nine like, a month. Yeah, or it's like three three fifty. <laughs> it's about it's about three fifty uh, is what that is. Oh man, we reported in episode three hundred and sixty two that there was a great static image of the redesigned USS Enterprise created by John Eaves and Scott Schneider in the soon to be released Ships of the Line calendar. Following the release of those images, John Eaves took to Facebook and set Star Trek fandom ablaze. The post is now deleted, but to sum up what he said, ultimately the changes that were made to the Enterprise had a great deal to do with contractual agreements between CBS and Paramount. It could not look 100% the same, and about 25% had to be different. Many took John Eve's Facebook post to mean that the Discovery production team was legally obligated to change the design of the iconic Enterprise, while others postulated that CBS was the owner of the original design and had no such obligation. CBS agreed with the latter. According to comicbook.com, quote, the spokesman stated that CBS TV Studios does, in fact, own the rights to the designs for the USS Enterprise seen on previous Star Trek television series, and that they are not legally required to make any changes to the design in order to use the ship in Star Trek Discovery. The Eves and Schneider piece that appears in the Ships of the Line calendar is concept artwork that was completed long before the VFX work was done, and any changes made to the design of the Enterprise were creative ones to utilize 2018 visual effects technology, end quote. Check out the comicbook.com article that we will have linked in our show notes. 
yeah, there's no reason that the that CBS could not have used the original Enterprise design. That that didn't make any sense to me when I first read it, and I wasn't on the show to comment on it at the time. But CBS owns everything lock, stock, and barrel. It's pro, it's Paramount, which is licensing bits and pieces of it. So C- CBS is in the is in the the you know it's a, they're in the gunner's chair for everything that have to do with Star Trek. Uh, so yeah, they they own everything lock, stock, barrel. I think it's easy for fans to kind of. I think part of the reason this story kind of ran away was because it's easy for fans, if they're kind of not happy about how something looks, to, to seek out some reason for to blame. Like blame uh, when, lawyers. When in reality, yeah, no, in reality, I mean, I personally think that if they had used the original designs of the original series Enterprise, it would have looked silly on screen. So they made some choices uh, about the design of that ship that would make it fit in better with the new visual style, and that's fine. And it's easy to just grasp onto something because you want there to be a a reason that wasn't some guys decided they wanted to change it. But that's more the reality, I'm afraid. I can see what you're saying, and I agree. It would have looked weird. It wouldn't have fit right. But to me, this is just a reason. They shouldn't have set it at, at this time. You know, it should have yeah. been either later or preferably, I would prefer later rather than uh, going backwards in time. Yeah. That, it, you know, the, the design choices that people make to the compromise between the 60s technology and the 21st century VFX stuff, they're, they're, no one's going to be 100% happy with any of it. It's just that when you start, when let's, let's make sure that people understand what are creative differences and what are legally required. There's very little that CBS is going to have to do to tiptoe around JJ. It's JJ that will have to tip around CBS of anything. So that's mm-hmm. that just I mean it, if you see stuff like this out there just keep that dynamic in mind. CBS owns all this stuff and has licensed it to Paramount, which and then in turn has a contract with Bad Robot. It all flows that direction. So just keep that in mind if you see stuff like this in the future. Oh, Jonathan Frakes. The headaches you must cause the producers of Star Trek Discovery and we love you for it. The Star Trek legend recently appeared at the El Paso Comic-Con in Texas and let slip that not only will he be directing episodes 2 and 10 of Star Trek Discovery's second season, but also that Captain Pike and Spock will appear in the second episode. While Pike's continued presence past the season premiere is exciting, the return of Spock to a Star Trek series is... fascinating. Spock, according to Frakes, will appear as a young Spock in flashbacks and play opposite young Burnham. No word was given about who would play young Spock, but we'll be sure to let you know as soon as we do. So that brings us to this week's first community question. What are your thoughts on Spock's flashback appearance in Star Trek Discovery? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO363 or by commenting on our community questions post that we do later this week on our social media platforms. That's it for this week's Star Trek news. Now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. If you've been debating whether or not to start playing Star Trek Online, well, perhaps this might entice you. Through May 17th on PC, players that start a character in the game will be known as Delta Recruits. The point is to help bridge the gap between existing veteran players and incoming players. 
you get a ton of rewards and special traits for starting a Delta Recruitment character. Links to the description of those rewards will be in our show notes, of course. Now, this hasn't happened since 2015, so now's the time to get ready for Expansion 4 and jump into the game. And remember, if you're new to the game and need some friends to guide you, reach out to us on social media or via email and we'll get you all set up in the Priority 1 Armada. So one thing that I quickly want to say about this is that this only applies to Federation characters, Romulan characters, and Klingon characters. It does not include the 22nd century or TOS uh, characters, Uh, so that one isn't included. If you create a TOS character, it will not be a Delta Recruit. You can also take advantage to the increases made to the XP boosts available in the C-Store, now offering 50% bonuses as opposed to the old 20%. Plus, large boosts are now cheaper, dropping from 975 Zen to 600 Zen. So, now is definitely the time to get into Star Trek Online, level up, and experience the adventure. Not to mention, haven't you always wanted to test your skills against the Kobayashi Maru simulation? Get yourself to level 50 or higher, and you can take the test for a limited time. The longer you last against the waves of incoming enemies, the more rewards you earn. Get full details in the blog post we'll have linked in the show notes. So, Winters, how far have you been able to get in the Kobayashi Maru? I actually haven't played it uh, today since it came uh, online, Uh, but the furthest that I've got, I want to say, is level 45. That was with pre-setup team from the Armada, which wasn't bad, but... uh, Yeah, I've only ever got up that high once, ever. Nice. Now, you'll undoubtedly recall, back in January, in the featured episode Scylla and Charybdis, DS9 took a pretty rough pounding from the Herc. Well, the environment team has been hard at work with a revamp to the little station near the wormhole. Woohoo! In a blog post by senior environment artist Nick Dugid, we're introduced to the enhancements that players can look forward to. As always, Nick leaves no stone unturned, and with access to original technical specs of the set used on Deep Space Nine on Stage 17 at Paramount Studios, he and his team have worked diligently to make Deep Space Nine as screen accurate as possible. Now, much like other Star Trek sets, the DS9 stage was not a complete circle, as you see, of course, in hero shots of Deep Space Nine. Instead, as Nick describes in his blog, quote, We had to fill out the extra 220 degrees of the circle. It's amazing how the producers of the show would redress things and shoot them from odd angles to make you feel like there was much more to it." Nick goes into further details about how intensive his research has been in ensuring the most accurate representation of Deep Space Nine in Star Trek Online, so we encourage you to check out the blog for some sneak peeks at the updates for the station. So this is actually available now on Tribble. And I've logged on uh, to check it out, and it is amazing. Nick and the team have done such a good job at recreating Deep Space Nine and filling it out. It it it's just so I you know I I've got so much excitement I can't even explain it. So did they fix the instancing? Do you still have to jump an instance to go from the promenade to Cork's Bar, or is it now all one map? It's all one map. Nice. So uh, there's no jumping instance or anything like that. Uh, they've got the bank and exchange right across the promenade from the shipyard, so there's no more running you know, to the, the far side of the station. 
they're right beside each other. Uh, it's filled out nicely. It's got Garrick shop. It's got these little um, uh, Korsks in it and uh, the Jumja stick stand. And it's just so cool. Nice. Um, Quark is even behind the bar. He's actually there now. Um, and I'm guessing once they get Armin in to do the voiceover, he'll, you know, they'll, they'll be some lines for him there as well. Nice, nice. Um, but yeah, they, they have done an amazing job with this. Now, as I said, this is on Tribble now. Unfortunately, Tribble has been locked out to gold or lifetime members only for the foreseeable future. I'd say until shortly after Victory is Life is released. So if you're a free-to-play player, you cannot get onto Tribble. You can only get onto Redshirt. Um, so that's just important to note. Cool. In a blog post by Lead Systems designer Jeremy Bordicus Cryptic Randall, we've been provided with new details regarding the level cap increase to level 65. In much of the blog, Jeremy attempts to ease any player concerns regarding existing experience points gained and how they can be applied towards progressing further along specializations. He also takes the time to give players a rough estimate of what it will take to level up, stating, quote, each of the new story missions being released with this expansion will grant all captains more than half of a level each, and even more if you're using an XP bonus pool, meaning that you will be well on your way to the new cap without needing to invest much outside of the central plot as it unfurls before you in the Gamma Quadrant." End quote. He also outlines the rewards that each player will receive at each level attained. For instance, at level 65, you earn an epic admiralty ship, Elam Garrick's ship, the CUV Tane. This is uh, really cool that uh, they're going given uh, another epic uh, level admiralty ship. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to getting that. Even though it's an admiralty card, it'd be really cool if it was an actual playable ship, but I, I still think it's very cool. Now, one thing that I do want to point out about this particular blog, and if I read it right, what Jeremy was saying was, when Victory of Life is launched, everybody will have, you know, their progress bar filled up by X amount. Some people will, you know, let's say have 10% filled. Other people will be like 95% to get in the next level increase or, you know, the next spec point. So when Victory of Life launches, that is going to be reset to zero. So the progress bar is going to be put back to zero. And you're going to start from level 60 and just move forward from there but everybody is going to get a specialization point for free so no matter how much you have the bar progressed you're actually going to be gaining you're not going to lose anything and everybody it means that we'll all be starting off from the very same place uh, nobody will have a head start now, when the Victory is Life expansion was announced earlier this year, there was an outcry that Cardassians were not announced as a playable species. Well, players can rest easy with this blog post by systems designer Robert Cryptic Rodai Ruda. Soon, players can choose a Cardassian to play, whether you're Starfleet or Klingon aligned. The inherent species trait, Recalled Tactics, provides a stacking bonus that will increase your damage accuracy, and defense during combat. The unique ground trait, Superior Mental Fortitude, grants an innate resistance to stun, confuse, and placate attacks, as well as an immunity to the Vulcan Nerve Pinch. Unfortunately, it's not yet clear 
how we'll be able to play as Cardassians. As of right now, there's only one way to play the Cardassian character, and that's through a new Gamma Vanguard pack, which we'll discuss momentarily. However, with respect to other methods that players can get their hands on a Cardassian, we reached out to Cryptic to get some clarification. And Community Manager Ambassador Kell replied, quote, it's the only currently announced way to play them, end quote. Emphasis on the currently announced. I seen this in the blog as well, uh, and I, I took particular note of the wording, which I believe was uh, how you unlock, and you know, emphasis on the unlock part is what I paid attention to. Um, so that to me means that it's probably going to be a microtransaction, you know, an in-game purchase like uh, Cations or uh, as a playable Klingon on the Federation faction. I have a feeling Cardassians are going to be in the same boat. Now, they might treat it the very same way as they did Remans for when Legacy of Romulus came out, where if you complete a new, repu or we'll say a Dominion reputation, you get to tier 5, it automatically unlocks that species for you for free. Have no idea if that's the way they're going to do it, but it might be. I would imagine that players would be really happy if Cardassians were an unlock for free via something like the reputation system. And that wouldn't be much different than the way they handled the Remans, like you mentioned earlier. In the, right. with the, the Remans were not only available via the reputation, but you can buy them out immediately with the uh, Legacy of Romulus Legacy Pack. The big one, the big, you know, $130 pack. Correct. And that's why I kind of suspect that they're going to do the same thing again. But we don't know yet because they haven't even announced if there is going to be a new reputation. We don't know. Right. Now, right. if there is going to be a reputation, I suspect they're probably going to tie Cardassians to it. But that's pure speculation. Um it's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on, and I will definitely be watching very carefully for that. And um, yeah, hopefully we can find out more about it soon. So as we mentioned, there are packs that you can purchase to get yourself ready for Expansion 4. So if you're eager to hit the ground running when it lands this summer, then you may want to pre-order one of two Gamma Vanguard packs available to players. The starter pack, available for $19.99 US dollar, contains a tier 6 Jem'Hadar Vanguard Dreadnought Cruiser, playable Jem'Hadar Vanguard Species, which is more buff than the default Jem'Hadar that you'll get to play for free, and a Jem'Hadar Tactical Uniform. The more expensive pack, the one selling for $129.99 US dollar, not only includes the items in the starter pack, but additional items as well. In total, Five Jemadar ships, three Cardassian ships, two playable species, uniforms, several vanity titles, and boosts. A full description of the rewards in each pack will, of course, be in our show notes. I think that this pack, uh, the, the the more expensive one, the um, Jemadar Vanguard pack, not the starter pack. I think it's it's fair, but it's not fantastic. Two of the ships are tier five ships. Which is kind of nice and, you know, not fantastic either because, you know, they're tier 5 and ultimately everybody wants tier 6 ships. However, if they threw in an, one extra ship, like uh, the strike ship or something, for example, even though I know the, they'll never do that, uh, I think it would turn this pack into outstanding value uh, if there was just some a little bit more onto it. 
as I said, it's fair now, but it, it's not fantastic. Um, having said that, I'm probably still going to get it. And lastly, if you want to get into some canonical stories that help set the stage for the new expansion, two new story blogs have been released. One telling the story of survivors from a presumed Herc attack in a story titled Moving Shadows, and the other titled The Past and Present gives us some insight on what Kieran Arise has been up to since becoming Kai on Bajor. Now, moving on to Armada News. Winters, what's going on? Well, it is my great honor to announce that we have three new recipients of the Armada's Sword of Kalos Award. This is the highest KDF award that can be issued to any member of the Priority One Armada, and therefore it is the most difficult to earn. We would like to officially recognize Commander Riker S, Commander Dino Mice, and Captain Thievat for their incredible loyalty, commitment, and generosity to the Priority One Armada and to their respective home fleets. This is the first time that anyone in the whole Armada has earned this glorious award, and we are so proud to add the first three names to the list. On behalf of the entire Armada, I would like to express our admiration, thanks, and gratitude for your dedication and service to the House of Martok and the House of Moog PC fleets. Kapla! And moving on to the Priority One Xbox fleet, Captains, are you on the Xbox Mirror Universe hunt? Well, you are in the right place. Your clue is... Man. Good luck completing the phrase, spoken by a great man. You can find a clue on the Priority One Armada website at PriorityOneArmada.com, Twitter, Facebook, hidden on the Xbox Colony Planet in-game, and on last week's Twitch stream. Captain Franck was the first to figure it out, but if you can message Admiral Turcott the correct phrase, you can still choose one item from the Xbox vault. Yeah, so congratulations to Captain Franck for uh, figuring it out. But um, yeah, we're, it's still not finished yet, as uh, Elijah just said. Uh, if you can still figure out the passphrase, you could still be in with a chance of uh, winning a pretty decent prize. And finally, in Xbox news, the Priority One Harmada has activated its first KDF, the House of Martok. So if you play Star Trek Online on the Xbox platform and wish to join our House of Martok, simply request a fleet invite in the forums on PriorityOneArmada.com. And just before we move on, I want to remind our listeners that Priority One has a Discord channel. If you'd like to come on and chat about whatever games you're playing, head over to our show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO363 for the link. Well, that wraps up the news from Star Trek Online this week. Now we welcome content designer Tiffany Chu to discuss her experiences at Cryptic and the recently launched episode, The Renegade's Regret. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. And Captain's joining us this week is content designer Tiffany Wubbles Chu. Thank you so much for joining us, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. You are actually fairly new to the development team. You just recently celebrated your one-year anniversary at Cryptic. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your gaming history. You know, what uh, what got you into the industry and how did you end up at Cryptic? Well, I'm so glad you asked because, boy, do I have a long story for you. Good thing <laughs> that you can edit this for our listeners. <laughs> uh, so back in 2000, I graduated with a BA in English, which 
Most people was convinced I would be out flipping burgers, but instead I got a super boring technical writing job, you know, writing manuals for how to use a web page. <laughs> um, I would, after a while, I realized this was boring, and if this was my life, I was just going to cry in the bathroom every day. <laughs> but luckily, we were in the same building as another company, and they ported video games from PC to console and so on and so forth. So we met at one of those building barbecue social events, and it just blew me away that, you know, people like normal people make video games not like hidden away in a secret cave somewhere you must speak the language of mario so i kind of asked them how would i get started if i didn't know how to program computers and they said most entry-level positions would be something like qa where you're testing a product or uh, customer service where you're kind of interfacing with players and seeing like what a lot of the issues in game might be uh, and they, they suggested that, so I just started looking online, like, how do I QA video games? <laughs> and my first job was with Sierra testing Arcanum. And this was a small startup company called Troika Games, and they split off from Interplay. Again, this is back in 2000, so I, I feel really old talking about it. <laughs> but so I started as QA, uh, was testing Arcanum of Steamworks and Magic Obscura. That's its full title. Wow. And they, the developers there, saw fit to train me further as a designer. The crazy fools, you know, what have they done? I've, so I've been doing game design for most of my time since then. Uh, the next project I worked on, but only very briefly, was Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. But I didn't, I was young and stupid, and I thought I knew better because I had one title under my belt, you know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, these people, they're never going to get this game right. I quit. But of course, they made an amazing game and shipped it and has a cult following. <laughs> but uh, I learned a lot there and went on to make a couple more like role-playing games. And sometimes I tried being a producer, but ultimately I realized I, I really do enjoy working on design, you know, interfacing with players, making things fun. So I was actually doing some production work and then I went back to design to work on uh, some PVE missions for Armored Warfare, made the motorcycle uh, level in Gears of War 4, and then Cryptic somehow found me desperately looking for a job. And they're like, I guess you could work here or something, whatever. <laughs> So yeah, it's been amazing at Cryptic. This is one of the nicest companies I've ever been at. Uh, and I mean that in terms of the people who work here. It's a very collaborative environment. Everyone's very helpful. And it's not toxic. Like a lot of people that I've met in the game industry, you know, there's a lot of like alpha male uh, mentality and people are always like trying to one up each other or they're like, no, your idea sucks. And why didn't you make things the way I wanted to? But here it's always like, well, I was thinking this, but if you think that might be better, let's try to figure out how that might work. So yeah, it's very civil and it's great. So I love it here. Now I have a question for you because you, you sort of talked about the journey from QA uh, up through game design. You've done a little bit of production and I think I personally get confused about what exactly um, a a game designer or like a content designer does as opposed to somebody who's a producer or um, indeed like a like a developer because are you actually in there coding or or what exactly goes into the the piece that you would call content design or game design uh, okay so let me give you a quick overview on most company setups and then I will answer your question more directly so most video game companies in terms of when they say developer um, it's usually one of three main branches one would be programming or coding uh, mm -hmm. so these people who are people who know like C C++ or 
I don't know, whatever else, whatever else they code in. <laughs> Java, maybe? And, so I'm um, guessing you're not yeah. one of those people. <laughs> no, I actually tried to learn Java in college, and I just I could not program Minesweeper. And I was like, I guess I'm just not made for this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's one discipline. And another would be art. Um, there's a lot that goes on in art. There's 2D art, like people who draw concepts that kind mm -hmm. of give us a guideline for, you know, the ships that we want to build or the levels that we want to play in or even what a character might look like. And then there's, you know, the 3D artists who build these things and then um, animators who bring different things to life, whether it be a tree swaying in the wind or someone's like walk run cycle or something fancy like a dance party dance. Mm -hmm. um, and then design. We're the people who are in charge of putting these pieces together and making sure that we deliver a fun experience for players. So we'll use the tools that programming gave us and put things in the environment using like the pieces that art gave us to create, you know, either a mission or a dungeon, you know, so something fun for you to play. Hmm. And you know, to support that there's like me, I'm a content designer. So what I do is I go, here's the story I want to tell. Um, this is the space that I want to use. Like you go from this room to this corridor and then you have to decide if you want to go left or right. And the enemies you come across are, you know, having a tea party when you suddenly interrupt them and they have to go, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> Sneak preview yeah. of the next featured episode. <laughs> <laughs> the tea party in STO. <laughs> but, or, or, you know, like, are you running into a dungeon to save, um, you know, like slave goblins or something? And mm. it's all stuff that you have to think about. And then usually there's also system designers and they will make the loot, the rewards, um, the powers that you use in combat and the enemies that you fight, like how tough they are and so on and so forth. And then what production does is they kind of make sure that all three disciplines are talking to each other, keeping each other informed, and we're on schedule. Um, they worry about things like, oh, if we spend this much time and money to make an episode for Star Trek, how much money do we think we can get out from it? Like, you know, if we crank out a really quick little cue versus like a full-length featured episode, like, is that worth the cost of development? Um, is that going to help us retain players? So a lot of business decisions as well. Um, but for me, they're like, like Maria would be, you know, like the mom of the group was like, all right, kids, let's play nice. We need to <laughs> be on the bus by 10 a.m. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question. If not, let me know where I can expand. Yeah, no, it does, actually. That was a, a good distinction, because I think sometimes um, we tend to look at, if you're not involved in game development, you just think of the devs as mm -hmm. like a sort of a nebulous group. And I know that yeah. some people know more about the game, you know, as a total than other people have their little um, sort of more niche areas that they're experts in. But it, it, the, the titles are not necessarily intuitive. Correct. And uh, sometimes they differ from company to company or even industry, because for us, a producer in some other industries like software development, they might call it a project manager. Right. So that leads into the question, um, as a content designer, what would some of our listeners um, recognize as having been your work? So all you will have seen so far is the winter event featuring the Krampus, uh, he or that's not his name, the Krampiri. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, runs around from place to place throws out presents and tells everyone that they're naughty and tries to kidnap them. Uh, that was the first thing that I worked on completely that was out. And then the next thing that recently came out is the Renegade's Regret. So right. that was an episode where 
uh, Ricosa said, we need to train Tiffany somehow to use our special tools that nobody else has ever had their hands on, you know. So let's give her a short, easy mission to do. <laughs> and somehow became this very involved, like, oh, let's try this new tech. We don't know what's going to happen if we change you into a Zenkethi or have, a, have you fly a Zenkethi ship. So that was very exciting to do something new, but at the same time very challenging while I'm trying to learn you know, um, the nuances of the engine that we're using. So let's talk a little bit about that mission. Um, you mentioned, for instance, that there was new tech or new techniques being used um, to allow players to play as a Zenkethi and then fly the ship. I mean, I know that bef- in, in previous episodes, and we talked a little bit about this uh, a few episodes ago, uh, players have been able to play other ships before and kind of get thrown in. What was different about this episode in its development, uh, and what were those hurdles that you had to um, overcome to produce it? Uh, Fortunately for me, I could play the I'm new card. I don't know what's happening. So a lot of people would jump in and help out. Uh, So, for example, I heard that there was old tech using, like, space. They call it B-Critter. That's the name of the piece of code that, you know, they really spruced up for this mission. They're like, we have B-Critter code for space before. We've used it before. So let's just use it again, except this time we'll use it on the ground as well. And you can be a giant Zenkathi lizard running around. Uh, But upon further investigation, I think something was different about how the space tech was used before versus how it is used for this mission. And there were bugs with it. Like when we first released, it kind of rearranged the powers you had on your tray. Uh, I believe that's been fixed since, but that was something that was missed before, or maybe they just didn't have time to perfect. So it's kind of a good thing that we revisited that old piece of tech to kind of spruce it up and say, hey, is this fun to do? Do people enjoy um, just trying out something new, having a, you know, like breath of fresh air, basically. And then it turns out that just converting the tech that we use in space to the ground map was actually completely different. So for the longest time, you were just running around as yourself. And I was like, well, at least you can go from door to door and kill this group of mobs and have it count towards your mission, but you just look like you. Mm -hmm. And I would say about a month before we were finally ready to ship, they were like, hey, look, it works. That's cool, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that came together very quickly towards the end. Everything got hooked up. And then it was just polish and tweaking on some of the powers that we gave you. Um, When you're her on the ground, you have like a shoulder cannon. You have one where you kind of hunker down and do like a serious blast from your backpack. And um, a very, very powerful backhand. (laughs) So Yes. Like... Yeah. So these uh, these powers we had to kind of copy from existing powers and then tweak so that it made sense for mm-hmm. um, a player character to have. And um, so, for example, one thing we had noticed was the Zenkethi critters had an eight second stare down. And what that means is, if you were normally playing as your, yourself, your own captain, and you ran into enemies Zenkethi, they'd be like, "Oh, I think I see a bad guy. Yeah, that's a bad guy. I don't like the way he looks." And then eight seconds later they start attacking you. Uh, Mm. That's not going to work for the two dudes who are following you around on the ground because if you're like, hey, look, little draconian guys who are in my way, if they spend eight seconds staring down those guys, you're going to be doing all the work yourself. And they're, I mean, they're just there set dressing at that point. So we had to do a lot of um, balance passes. And so the systems team uh, did a great job with those, I think. Yeah. And and so, I mean, in previous, you know, you play other games and usually it's like a skin, right? It's just putting the uh, the the avatar tune over your player. But in this case, you as the player on the back end are really playing as a Zenkethi. Like, it's, it's their traits, it's their powers, 
Yes, and they have a different skeleton as mm. well. Um, they're much bigger. They have that extra vestigial arm. Their face bones are different, so the way they move their mouth is set up a little bit differently. Uh, so it wasn't as easy as just slapping on a costume on a, on a player. That's awesome. That's really exciting. Where did that? Where did this idea come from? This, um, it's not been done before. Somebody said. Right, let's have them play as a Zen Cafe, and I'm just imagining uh, people sitting around going, we can't do that. <laughs> did, it, did it come from the systems team saying, hey, we've got this bit of code that we think you might be able to use, let's figure out a way to use it, or was it uh, more on the creative side? Like, how, how did that come together? Honestly, I, I don't remember. I think it probably came from the initial brainstorm session that I wasn't a part of yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like with Ricosa and... Um, I think Maria and some pro- probably some of the old school designers who've been around for a while, you know, the one, like and Jeremy, I don't know if you met him before, he's our systems mm-hmm. lead. You know, they probably sat around they're like, "Well, we did this before. We could probably do it again or something." Yeah, it'd be cool to see things from her perspective. And so they're like, "Well, Tony, you know, you're you're new. Try to see if you can make it work. If not, we'll just <laughs> um we'll just have you play as you and or something and have you play it in a, a holodeck simulation you know so that was kind of a backup plan where we don't mm-hmm. change your um, costume and your powers and would be like oh look i programmed a holodeck program in my spare time hang out in ds9 <laughs> um, and this is what it was like to be me says the zenkathy renegade but one thing i do remember saying was like what if the zenkathy captain was a chick yeah <laughs> Nice. I was like, I know, sweeping changes here, guys. Hold on to your yeah. seats. Um, but, you know, that kind of made everyone kind of look around and be like, oh, actually, we never really thought about Zenkathy gender. You know, it's, they're just kind of lizard people, right? And then mm-hmm. someone was like, would you draw them with boobs? Can I say that on the podcast, boobs? You can. That's all right. <laughs> we've, we've had, we've gone into great, a very in-depth discussion with our Vera about Gorn boobs. Oh, excellent. Uh, right, because God, you're not, well, they're lizards. Right. They talk about eggs and scale, so it would not make sense for them to have, you know, like that particular gland. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, running around between people like Paul, our writer, to make sure that, you know, it's like, these guys aren't like asexual or like just kind of like, they're not amoebas that just kind of split themselves in half, right? Like they they would have two genders. (laughs) And then with the character, I was like, how do you feel about making a female Zenkethi? But no boobs. Okay. Yeah, so um, that was fun for me to coordinate and just kind of go, oh, okay, this is also a good excuse for me to go around and meet different people on the team, too. So, you know, actually, I should have asked this um, going back a little bit because you mentioned that your degree is in English. Mm-hmm. Do you, was it was it like creative writing? Was it, liter- you know, uh, literature? I, I, ultimately, my question is, how much of the story do you get to be involved with? Maybe not this first mission, but now moving forward. It was creative writing, and my college did have a distinction between between that and like literature. So I went creative writing, pretending like I knew what I was doing, you know? And right now we kind of get a basic outline. So for the missions that I'm working on now that I can't talk right, about, right. Uh, I got a I got a rough outline from, you know, uh, Al and uh, Ricosa and kind of saying, this is the general direction. We need to go from point A to point B. And here's what we think the story beats in between might be. But, you know, if you have a better idea of how to tell that story or how, how to get us from point A to point B, you know, go for it. This one's yours, right? So it's kind of nice to be able to come back and say, oh, I was thinking, you know, instead of the tea party, what if we had a ball pit? <laughs> yeah, I know. Crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, like 
you still have to work within an outline, but how you tell the nuances of the story is it's not dependent on the outline. You know, it's about when you walk into a room, what do you see? Um, it's about what people say to you when, when you see something. They're like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Or, hey, look, they're having fun. You know, those things set the mood and the tone. And also what players do, you know, are they fighting or are they running around and talking to people or hacking computers? Like, that's all part of the storytelling, right. too. It's, it just fascinates me because, um, you, you know, you're not the only developer that doesn't, you know, didn't didn't go to school for game development right and, and even at Cryptic, yeah that didn't exist right, you know and, <laughs> that didn't exist at my time and, and you know like i've spoken to even several developers over at cryptic studios with with varying backgrounds and yet mm-hmm. each one of you manages to really bring in something from you know that 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 expensive piece of paper that was earned uh yes. into the into the, the the career that you are in now so um you know like we were just talking before we started with mike about uh, community management you know and how his experience in theater really does help him with it yeah and there are other examples too but that's that's, that's really fascinating that's really great yeah we actually recently hired someone um and he said oh i went to you know like this school's uh, of game design and uh game production and i just went that's amazing. It's so narrowed down now. Before it used to just be like, this is the art school for art, or you learn how to code. But game design was a weird nebulous thing. That's like, uh, do you fun? Right. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, oh, that's cool. I've never heard of that. I didn't even know that school had that. That's neat. Yeah. So what do they teach you? Right. <laughs> but you know, it's amazing too, because the new guy recently put out like a prototype level and we all got to play it. And I was like, this guy's good. Uh, yeah, he knows fun. Nice. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so I think um, in my time, I've also worked with a couple of people who graduated from various schools, like Guildhall or Nomen or whatever. And I think with anyone that you would find, like some of them are really good at certain things. And I think what school does is it kind of helps you learn the tools that you have at your disposal better and help shape the way you tackle problems better. So, so now moving forward, so you've got Renegades under your belt. Yeah. You're currently working on new stuff that you obviously can't talk about. No. But um, you know, now that you now that you created this mission that that introduced or reworked technology that that was programmed for the game for for space combat, are there things that players can look forward to moving forward with uh, with missions that will push the game to uh, to further limits? I think so, but also sometimes I think you don't always need to be pushing limits because if your foundation is fun, you can have a lot of good gameplay and meaningful um, story experiences just using what's already been established, right? Like, hopefully you will never be sick of flying your ship and pressing like, okay, now I need to shoot my laser beams and now I need to launch my torpedoes <laughs> and circle the other ship. So those are there's some basic things that we don't want to change and that we still do want to highlight. And I think it's important to have good pacing of like some ups and downs. Like so sometimes you have fancy new things that are pushing the envelope and sometimes it you have like uh, new stories that use tech that currently exists that's still fun and simple to use. I actually just I actually wanted to move on just to talk about you because um, before we started recording, um, uh, Mike Fadem, the community manager, mentioned something about your cooking, and I know the oh. first <laughs> I, I remembered you. In fact, before we sat down, I said, "Have we interviewed Tiffany before?" Because I I remembered you so distinctly from something, and what it was was around the time of the winter event last year, you did a blog with a bunch of like winter 
like Star oh, Trek yes. online themed the recipes. recipes and it yes. stuck out in my mind and then Mike <laughs> said something about um, your cooking and I'd, tell, tell us about your cooking because you're starting to get a bit of a reputation here. Oh well I hope it's a good one but uh, what I try to do when I'm not sick or overworked I try to bake something once a week and I try to bring mm-hmm. it in and share it with the team. Usually it's something simple like here's some cookies or here's a brownie but every once in a while I get bored and I want something that you can't buy from a store in California, I should say. And um, after I went to Hawaii, I was like, I had butter mochi for the first time. And it blew my mind. I was like, I'm Asian and I grew up eating different mochi-y things, but I have not had butter mochi. Why is this missing from my life? So I started going online, looking up recipes. And for about a month, I just made like butter mochi, chocolate butter mochi, more chocolate butter mochi. And I was like, yeah, this is it. This is my new favorite thing. And so even though like, I feel like I don't bake that much you know i'm certainly no brave tart or you know like serious eats or um the momofuku lady whose name i don't remember but like i don't bake that much but Mm -hmm. um i guess people here just like having homemade goods um but for the winter recipes i remember seeing a couple of users comment going well that was completely unexpected (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but i actually did bake the fruitcake from that collection um i think i made something else from it too but I, I was like, well, I can't just publish this recipe without knowing if it's good or not. Uh, so I actually got inspired from King Arthur's fruitcake recipe. And I kind of tweaked it a little bit and then, you know, themified it for Star Trek. And, and then I made it and I was like, yeah, this is good. All right, let's publish that. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tiffany, thank you so very much for for stopping by and talking with us about your experiences at Cryptic, how you got into game development, uh, and talking about this first mission uh, that players have had the opportunity of playing. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you were looking forward to uh, to talking with us about? Um, I don't think so yet. I'm still trying to get to learn the community more because you know my first year was just trying to learn Star Trek and the tools and you know who I'm working with so my next step is to kind of get to know the community better so thank you so much for this opportunity I really appreciate it absolutely come on anytime you'd like all right how about tomorrow all right that that works (laughs) that works (laughs) all right great thank you guys so much thank you Tiffany take care thank you take care bye message coming in sir hailing frequencies open see we are getting to know each other Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 362's community question was, What do you think of the casting of Anson Mount as Captain Christopher Pike in Star Trek Discovery? From Patreon, David S. says, It's a shame they couldn't get Bruce Greenwood and do some CGI magic to make him look as young as necessary. I would like to see the character of Christopher Pike fleshed out a little bit more, even if it's with another actor. At this point, let them do whatever they want. Cannon's been thrown out the airlock anyway. Sit back and enjoy. David S., I love you. You're a wonderful person. No. Yeah, no. No, yeah, no. I, I agree with David S. I no. 100% agree with that. I would have loved to have seen Bruce Green. I know we talked a little bit about this last week. Um, but I, I just for my own headcanon, right, if it's the same... Yeah, time. Your if immersion. It's the same timeline split. Split my immersion. Oh no, he's he's square on about Bruce Greenwood. And as a matter of fact, they probably wouldn't have to do very much CGI because of the way that the, they goofed with the timeline in the JJ verse. Like Kirk took command of the Enterprise in the Prime timeline at what thirty two, thirty three, but in the in the JJ verse, he's like twenty seven or something like that. Mm, right. So there's there's well, already Kenna, some sort of. Kenna made a really good point last last week about. Pike's age, right? Bruce Greenwood was in 2009, maybe could have done it, 
But not now, right, Kenna? What was it that you were saying? So we forget that because we can watch Star Trek now, like, whenever you want, uh, you forget that that was almost 10 years ago. Bruce Green was was a little on the old side. I feel bad for saying that. He was a little on the old side for what that character should have been at the time anyway, and he's going to be, as a human, an additional 10 years older. It it It's 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 too much. It's too much. Right, and from a production standpoint, are you going to hire that guy to do a good acting job and then also hire a good team of CGI artists to fix him? Or are you just going to hire one actor? <laughs> yeah. It's just from a, from yeah. a pr- production standpoint, it, it would, I can't see it ever happening. Yeah. Well, via Facebook, Alex Marsh writes in, Anson Mount seems like he may be a good fit for the role. But but it's the ability to capture the essence of a character and make it your own that matters. Considering that Captain Pike only appeared in one episode, or two or three, or depending on how you count it, I would like to think that gives a good amount of leeway in how the character can be interpreted, as there is so much we just don't know about him. That said, Anson is a highly competent actor, and I am optimistically curious, if not excited, to see him in the role. From Twitter, Captain Novak says, Best possible choice for the seasoned Captain Pike. If he brings even half the intensity that he brought to Hell on Wheels, it'll make the second season of Discovery something to remember. Hashtag Rick Grimes wishes he was Cullen Bohannon. I guess I should watch Hell on Wheels, huh? Well, you're a fan of uh, The Walking Dead, aren't you? I am. From Priority One Podcast, Tyler Maxwell said, Well, he certainly looks like original Pike, so that can't hurt. Don't know anything else about him... So I have no reason to think he'll be bad. Guess we'll just have to wait. Yeah, I know nothing about him either. Yeah, I mean, I mean either. And I have the only concern I have now is: is, is Star Trek Discovery is the captain's chair in Discovery going to be like the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher in Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> it's like this week we've got Lorca. This season we've got Pike. Next season, we're going to have, I don't know, Captain Terrell, the guy that ran the Reliant for a while. You know, and then he got yeah. the worm eaten out of his brain from Khan. We could have Captain Terrell. I mean, you know, we could just have like a Defense Against the Dark Arts thing going on. From Facebook, James Maslin says, I like it. I'd not heard it said out loud before the podcast last week, though. I find it a little confusing that with an American accent, his first name sounds like Ensign. Yeah, en- Ensign. It's, it does. You got it. It's a big promotion. And finally, from PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy says, Wonderful episode, everyone. Great job. I think Anson is the right choice. I agree with Kenna. And that, Sean Newboy, is why you are my favorite. Well, that wraps up episode 363 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a reminder of our community question this week. What are your thoughts on Spock's flashback appearance in Star Trek Discovery? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com or on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast. You can also find us on Twitter at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. 
If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel where we review the latest Star Trek Online news and Armada news, as well as highlighting some amazing members in the Armada. Each week we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and a lithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to Star Trek Online's content designer, Tiffany Wubbles Chu, for joining us this episode and talking about her experiences working at Cryptic Studios and working on the latest episode on Star Trek Online. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan. And a very special thanks to Jake as well for helping us write our show and spearheading our social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy Boats Lou and Jim DeVico. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. This is Elijah, intro, sync one. This is Kenna, intro, sync two. This is Tony, intro, sync three. This is Winters, intro, sync four. It's Winters. Intro in three, two. Elijah, I want to point out to you that our listeners can't see you doing air quotes. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I did it. The moment I did it, I was like, (laughs) what's the point? Wait, wait, what wait, wait. Doing? Now, what, what he's doing, doing now is he's moving his hands in front of his face in an awkward sort of weird way. He can't see that. They can't see that either, Elijah, when, when you do that. <laughs> oh, he's been on the stage too much. He's expressing himself. That's right. Expressing himself through movement. Episode 362's community question was, what do you... Hang on. The cat.
is scratching on the oh. door. Okay. Um, Do you want a boot? can on. hear the cat now. I know. Hang on, hang on. I'll just talk amongst yourselves for a second. <laughs> oh, all right. She, oh, no. she oh. just up and left. Oh, no. Bad things are going to happen to that cat. <laughs> she didn't want to broadcast over the all internet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's fine. No cats were harmed in the making of this show. <laughs> Episode 362. No, 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 The cat waited. The <laughs> cat me, waited until you're about to start talking. I'm sorry for swearing. That um, was Next week, perfect. I will issue an apology twice. To the Canadian <laughs> Violence and Ethics Code of Canada. To Canadian friends. Their Broadcasting Standards of Violence Code and Ethics Code of Code Department Codings. For more great podcasts like Mission and Law, I was going to say Mission at Warp. Mission at Warp. <laughs> Mission, Mission, Mission at Warp cast. <laughs> Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.